Welcome to iPad Pros, the show all about using your iPad to be productive and get work done. I'm Tim Chen, host of the show. More importantly, you're not imprinting. You don't have to imprint the effect on either the MIDI or the audio as you're bringing it in. You can apply it afterwards. So you can go between, you can change settings or try. Oh, this doesn't sound that good with a chorus, but tremolo sounds good on this or vibrato or phaser or whatever it might be. So it, it definitely gives you a lot more options and capabilities. Welcome back to another episode of iPad Pros. In this episode, we'll be diving into what you as a musician can do with the iPad. We've covered in earlier episodes the work you can do with Notion and Symphony Pro 5 as a composer, but in this episode, we will dive into apps like Cubasis 3, GarageBand, synthesizer apps, and a myriad of other tools on the iPad for creating music without dealing with the music notation end of things. For that, you can go back and listen to episodes 4 and 43 of the podcast. Jonathan Block has been recording and releasing music for over 30 years now. We discuss how his processes changed over the years and dive deep into what his workflows are for creating music on the iPad. After the end credits roll on this episode, you can hear an example of his work. He was kind enough to send me a four and a half minute piece to include at the end of this episode. Before we dive into this extensive interview, I just want to remind everyone that you can get bonus content and episodes early either on Apple Podcasts or on patreon.com slash iPadPros. This one didn't come out as early as I would have hoped, but I aim to get episodes out to supporters the Sunday before an episode releases, and many times even earlier than that. In some cases, months so. If you opt for Patreon, you also get MP3 chapter markers in each episode, which show up in apps like Overcast and other podcast clients. I really appreciate everyone who supports the podcast on Patreon or now on Apple Podcasts. It really does mean a lot, and it is very much appreciated. With that, here's my interview with Jonathan. Enjoy. Welcome to the podcast, Jonathan. Can you first kind of introduce yourself and what your current iPad setup is? My name's Jonathan Block. I use a uh, 2021 iPad Pro 12.9 inch, uh, the one terabyte version. To be honest, I use the iPad for pretty much 99% of everything I do, whether it's my personal uh, life or, or, or the business life. And my main use of the iPad these days is around creative things. So music in particular, which I know is going to be a lot of the stuff we're talking about. So the iPad is kind of the central hub of a bunch of different music things that I do. Uh, and I found it to be great. Uh, in that regard. Excellent. Yeah, I've uh, spoken with the people at Notion and had some music-related stuff, but more in the composition realm for traditional composition, which uh, is what Uh I kind of grew up with doing. I was a music composition major, just so you have that foundation. Um, Okay, good. (laughs) I'm not as familiar with the kind of the stuff that you do with kind of, as we'll get into it, like live performance and capture, and we'll have to talk about kind of your process for for, uh, the music you create. But yeah, my background is writing out uh, sheet music. I did it by hand and in finale back in the day. And yeah. Right. So what, uh, before we get into kind of what your process is on the iPad, what was your process for creating music before you started working with the iPad? Because you have been working in this realm for a while now, uh, more than the 10 years the iPad has been in existence. Yes. Um, and I was a bit of a Luddite. So I mean, back back in the day, you know, I, I also uh, actually have a minor in music, so I can write as well. And I had to do that. Um, I always even even at the youngest age, there was always a tape recorder around. So like, a you know, old school 
tape, you know, portable uh, cassette decks from back in the day. So this would have been the late 60s, early 70s. And um, as long as I can remember, I was into music and I was writing and and just taping things onto tape recorders and kind of grew up in the tape loop world of of doing things that way. But even in the early days of the computer, so, you know, I, I was doing some composition things and MIDI things using like an Apple SE or an SE30. So we're talking a while ago. (laughs) And that was frustrating in its own way. And I kind of gave up. I said, you know what? I'm going to keep music and computers uh, separate. I was primarily growing up a guitar and a bass player. So it wasn't really that big of a deal. I always liked electronic and synthesizer music. But to be completely honest, when I was growing up, that it was prohibitively expensive. There was there was no way in the 70s any any normal child uh, was going to be able to convince their parents to spend thousands and thousands of dollars on synthesizers. And that's all that was out at that time. So I kind of, we always had a piano in the house and I kind of tinkered around with that. But synths was always something that was out of reach until I got older and got a job and started having kids. And then it was like the band thing wasn't going to work and uh, playing bass. That was my main instrument. So I was like, hey, now might be a good time to start playing keyboard. So I bought a couple of inexpensive synths and it kind of intersected at the same time that uh, like chat groups, um, you know, rec.music. Whatever on Google and back in the day, um, rec.music.ambient was a big one I was involved in. So there was a whole kind of audience and group of musicians that were kind of converging on the the internet at the same time. But even in those days, I was still just taping into computers, or I had DAT. I had a digital audio tape, a DAT deck. I then moved into uh, CD burners, so standalone CD burners, yep. which weren't cheap. It really, to be completely honest, it's hasn't even been a year that I've started using the iPad really for music and particularly for recording. Because before that, I, you know, I was on a computer all day long for work and I just like to have the separation to come home and then open the laptop and start recording. Even though I had logic, I had a bunch of stuff. I, I just kept it separate. I didn't even use it for sequencing. I, I had hardware synths. And these were, you know, they, they were computers in themselves, Roland or Yamaha workstations that had sequencing and those kind of uh, things built right in. And that's that was not easy, but that's that's essentially what I used uh, up until fall. Uh, no, that that's not fair. Uh, early last year, uh, one of the things, one of the music projects I do is it's original music. I play bass. I write the words. I have a friend of mine who plays guitar and writes the music and sings. So it's more like a folk rock kind of thing. We've been mm-hmm. doing this for almost 40 years. And um, uh, we started doing a YouTube channel. So I was like, you know what? Let's just use the iPad. Uh, I, I kind of expanded into doing other things at the iPad at that point. And it worked out really well. Uh, it was easy. It was portable. Um, you know, once you get the connection part down, uh, it, it, it really was pretty simple and easy to use. So th- that was last year. And then I didn't do electronic music for a number of years. I kind of burned out. In the middle of last year, I started noticing a lot of, you know, the apps were cheap. A lot of um, the app makers had sales all the time. So I was like, yeah, let me 
let me buy a few. So I did, and I kind of got the bug again, and it just went from there. That's kind of how I started using the iPad. But it's really, you know, I've been using the iPad for the last couple of years. I bought the 2018 iPad Pro, and that was transformational for me because I had had a lot of iPads before that, starting with the first one. And that was the first time where I ever felt like, oh, this can be more than a consumption device. Not the capabilities of the iPad, because they were always there. It was just my mindset. Um, I, I've been like, oh, okay. And starting in 2018, I just started transitioning away from a laptop for for work. And then I was like, well, let me start doing creative stuff on this as well. And that's when last year I was like, oh, actually, this works pretty easy for music. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and 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 that's kind of how I got started on the iPad journey, how I got to where I am right now. Excellent. So with the iPad being USB-C, has that enabled much easier connectivity to these kind of hardware devices? You mentioned synths. Are those able to be plugged into the iPad or what's that situation look like for you? Yeah, I mean, there's some, typically you'll, you'll need to use an audio interface, uh, which also serves as a MIDI interface as well. So um, I like USB-C only because it, it was, so it first showed up on the 2018s and it was clearly the future. And I was like, oh, Apple's actually going to standardize on something everybody uses. Yeah. <laughs> Right. The wonders will never cease. Um, now, obviously, USB-A was was the same as well, but um, getting away from the lightning. So I was like, oh, we can buy hubs and we can do this. Um, and it, you know, makes it's a double edged sword of everything. It makes things easier, but it also makes things difficult because when you go and buy a hub or something to connect a synth with uh, the iPad, you're not always sure it's going to work. So I had had good luck with a company called Focusrite um, who makes audio interfaces and they've always been class compliant with the iPad. So I, I got one of those and plugged it in and it showed up right away. I didn't have to do anything. And so I plugged the synths right there. Now that's pretty recent. When I started up again with electronic music last fall, I was like, I'm just using the iPad, nothing external. So I just used, I, I bought a number of apps uh, and that's all I was using. So there was nothing external. But then, you know, like everything else, I got the bug again. I'm like, oh, maybe I'd like an external synth. So first I started with a controller to trigger the internal sounds uh, that were on the apps on the iPad. And then I was like, no, no, I want a synth. So I got a synth. Most synths have USB outputs and you can go from the USB output of the synth essentially into the into right into the iPad if you have the right connector yeah. or you can go right into an interface and uh, it works well there. Now, of course, the synth I got isn't really it's a Mellotron. So the modern Mellotron, which is digital, not tape based, but uh, it's old school enough where there's no USB interface. Uh, there's no USB output on the Mellotron. There's no even stereo output on the Mellotron. <laughs> it's really old school. It's a mono output. So luckily I had the interface already. Uh, so it sends the audio into the interface, uh, but it also has MIDI on it and the interface captures MIDI as well. So oh, that nice. communicates back and forth to the iPad. So I use, uh, so I found USB-C actually to be easy 
only because the proliferation of hubs. So you definitely have to use a hub. And I found a, you know, Anchor. I think everybody's familiar with Anchor. Um, on, you can get them on Amazon. But my the latest hub I got has two USB-C inputs, outputs, one of them for power and the other for whatever else you want to use it for. So that was always my that was always my thing with um, interfaces is that they used to be wicked expensive if you wanted more than one USB, essentially the power pass through. And I think the prices on those have come down a bit now. I mean, I think this one was like 30 30 something and I've never had any issues with it but I don't know I mean we all have our our kind of you know affectations or whatever and I'm I'm always like yeah I bought this device I upgrade on a regular basis I shouldn't care about battery life right I shouldn't care about being on power or not but I don't know I'm always like feel more comfortable if I'm somewhere where there's a plug I'll be on sure. power so that enables me to to do that the benefit of that is is for when I like I got this new iPad, you know, the day came out and uh, passed the 2018, which I'd used constantly over the last two years to my wife. And, oh, you know, I checked the battery health. It's got like four cycles on it. Um, and she's she's the kind of person that she'll run it down like daily. So I'm like, yeah. you essentially got a brand new iPad here with a battery health of still 100%, which is pretty wild for, for a two-year-old iPad. So for sure. so so go for it. But yeah, I find I, I'm a big USB-C fan. And like one port's enough for me. I, I'm, I, I know people get real parochial about some of their arguments, but I, I like one port. If I'm not doing music, to be completely honest, I've, I've, you know, the AirPods and have that port for power. So yeah. it's really only when I'm trying to do music. And I, I've been through a couple of hubs that didn't work so well, found this Anchor one that works really well. And uh, so so um, I'm all good. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. And MIDI has gone Bluetooth since, bef you know, after since I started doing yeah. this. Uh, have you much experience with that? I got to be honest, MIDI Bluetooth is can be a little flaky. Not okay. when you're playing. So I know there's some people get really sensitive to latency, right? And yeah. get really get get obsessed with that. And, you know, so a lot of the apps that I use, there's settings for that, too. I'm not as sensitive to that when I'm playing. Um, that, that kind of gap, uh, sometimes it's a little bit of a gap. I can notice it, but not enough when I'm playing. But if I start recording, I can notice because yeah. then you're when you're monitoring it, you, you're hearing exactly what you're playing. But it's not when you're playing it; it's when it's registering. So right. that's when the that's when the latency. And then if you try to overdub or something, it just just all goes to pop. So yeah. um, the latency can be is an issue for me in there. So I really don't. I I, I use the Bluetooth audio. Never had an issue with uh, okay. certainly when recording, but but the MIDI definitely a little. And I don't know if that's because of the gear. Uh, so the only MIDI enabled thing that I have right now, uh, wire, you know, Bluetooth, excuse me, Bluetooth MIDI enabled thing is a Korg uh, controller, uh, which is fairly new. It's not old. Um, and I bought that to trigger the synths in the iPad. And, and a controller um, for those that don't know, it just does it change the uh, sound, like the instrument sound? So you're going from like one synthesizer sound to yeah, another? Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so essentially it's the keyboard part. It's the key bed with the with the keys and it will send the note on, the note off, the velocity, how hard you hit the key. Okay. So to, it's it's like a to the iPad. Yeah, like but it looks the, like but a it, piano. It by almost. itself does not generate any sounds. 
Okay, so, so it kind of looks like a piano almost, and then you need the app to interpret what it's doing. Yeah, so if you have, for instance, like a Moog synth app, uh, and you plug it in, you can play it using the controller. But with the Bluetooth audio, again, if if I'm not if I'm not listening to what's being recorded, then I don't notice any latency. Um, it might feel a little spongy because there's like that that millisecond difference between when I'm hitting the key and when the sound is happening. But when you start recording and you're monitoring actually what's kind of you know being imprinted, <laughs> yeah. used to say the tape now to to the to the drive, um, it, it I I can feel it like I it's it you feel like everything's slow and it's just it's a weird it's a weird sensation so i know people are really sensitive to latency i know exactly what they're talking about but it it has to get pretty far along in the process for me to notice that so i just you know i just i just go wired usb um and whether it's usb a or c or thunderbolt the 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 latency is is almost non-existent so the communication protocol is pretty uh, meaningless there but i'm sure it will you know it'll it'll evolve like everything else and i know you know a lot of people just want to be completely wireless it's just i I just don't think it's possible right now it's more reliable and midi usb has been around since the ipad one i believe you could use that camera connection kit back in 2010 yeah yeah i remember that yeah and there's even midi wind instruments these days i think yamaha has a saxophone that looks really awesome but it's rather expensive for hobby yeah, I used I used um, for about a year and a half. I used uh, it was by Akai. It was uh, EWI Electronic Wind Instrument, um, and uh, it had MIDI out. I you know again that was during the period when I was anti <laughs> anti computer for the yeah not anti technology because all you know all the synths and whatnot. But it had sounds built in that you could manipulate. So I used that, and and I've seen now they sell them like you just said. It just is. Some have sounds, some are just essentially MIDI controllers. And I've been like, oh, maybe I should try that again with the iPad. It would probably be pretty cool. For sure. Yeah. Uh, if someone is interested in like hearing a really good film composer go to town with synths combined with like real performance of uh, real instruments, uh, Jerry Goldsmith's my uh, go-to example with that. His, his scores are like a good example of how you can do that really well. Yeah, geez, he's done some amazing... Uh... Um, well, he and he did amazing things even before this, right? Didn't he do? Did he do the original Planet of the Apes? He, I did. Think he did. Yeah, that's yeah. just such a freaking amazing soundtrack. Yeah. And that was before it's the days just of sense. So otherworldly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's another guy. A recent. Um, I I was just reading an article about uh, his name is Craig Leon. Um, yeah, interesting guy. I guess he produced like a bunch of punk acts in the seventies and he worked for Sire, helped discover like talking heads and all this, but I guess he was a classical composer too. And, um, he, he does a lot of that incorporating sense with, uh, with with orchestral music uh, to be on i'll be completely honest i haven't listened to the music yet i read the article and yeah. i was like oh, I've never heard you'll have to check it out before. i'll have to check check them out yeah craig leon l-e-o-n okay yeah so it's interesting that whole the whole oh and he also did you know it was because he did um I don't know why somebody would repeat doing this because you had uh, wendy carlos did switch on bach you know decades ago but he did a 
he did another one. Um, I think I think Moog sponsored him doing like a 50th anniversary of Switched on Bach. So he did an album of Bach compositions just on since. Yeah. Uh, just on a Moog. Same <laughs> thing. It was a Moog modular, just like Wendy used back in the late 60s. Right. So yeah. that's 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 what the article was about. And that that's how I discovered it. So with new creates like a a piece of music on the iPad. Um, you have a lot of different apps in your kind of tool belt to, to pick from. Uh, do you start a project with a tune or a song already in mind, or will you just open up one of the apps and be like improvising within that app to kind of clarify your idea and kind of how much does that app that you pick decide what that becomes? Like, does the app itself influence your music in any ways? Yeah, and uh, probably... 70% of the time, it's the latter stuff you're talking about. I'll just start opening, I'll, I'll open the iPad. I might have an idea in mind like, oh, um, I've done a lot of, you know, working with this, these three or four since let me check out something else. Uh, and I, and I'll do that. And, and you're right. I mean, the sense, the apps themselves will help guide what the composition is. So in electronic music, I don't do a lot of formal compositions anymore. I used to, and that yeah. was... That was very linear. Now with the iPad, I do a lot of things with repeating, looping, sequencing, and 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 a lot of those different apps. So it's a lot of times it's a blank slate. To be honest, I may have one of the things I've always liked drums and percussion. So I'll sometimes just open up a drummer, you know, electronic drummer percussion app. And um, the cut, you know, a couple that I use a lot, Audio Kit Pro, which is a, a, a developer. They have a, it's called AR909, so it's an emulation of a Roland 909. Uh, and and they're the interface is they call it an XOX interface. So it's the it's the interface that that was present on the hardware. Um, Roland drum machines from the early 80s that are famous, the 606, yeah. the 808, the 909, with the multicolored, the grid. It's essentially a, a, a real-time uh, grid of 8 bars, 16, whatever it might be. And so they've replicated a lot of those on the iPad. So I, I've always loved that interface. So I'll just make some drum lines up, and I'll have a library of drums. And sometimes I'll be like, you know what? I want to do a piece that has some percussion in it. So I may start with the drum line and then say, Oh, you know what? A Moog would be good with this. So I know enough. It's right. I mean, apps can be so cheap that it's really easy to say, oh, this is on sale for $5.99. I'm going to buy this one. Or this is on sale for $2.99. I did that a lot in the beginning, particularly last fall on Black Friday when everybody puts their apps on sale. And like I dropped like 100 bucks in like 10 minutes on a bunch of apps. And I was like, OK, I can stop now and let me learn all these and what they're about. I still haven't. But, but yeah. I do... I've kind of gotten over that initial thing. So an apps, it, it, it has to be an app I've already looked at. I'm like, yeah, you know what? I'm not going to pay 20 for this, but I'll pay 10. So I'll, I'll keep an eye. There are, there's a couple of sites online where you can actually just keep track of apps price going up and down when the price goes down, uh, I'll buy it. But, uh, it kind of works both ways, but, uh, I, I don't, I'll go in maybe with a baseline or, or some idea of something and then I'll try to realize that with with whatever apps at my disposal and kind of what we were talking about at the beginning, the it's always limiting. There's always something I can't do that I think I want to do. And that's OK. I'll just um, 
totally adaptable. And the, it always ends up being different than I thought it was, which is good because I may come to the end of a piece and I'll be like, well, I actually didn't use any of these ideas I went into. So I've still got those ideas for another piece. But there are there are occasions where I will have something in mind. If that's the case, I will definitely choose the app that I think would be the best to realize that, both from a sound perspective, the effects, because I use a lot of uh, app effects as well for effects like delay and chorus and phaser and reverb and all that. But also there, there are a lot of, um, uh, so you have GarageBand, which is a digital audio workstation. You have that timeline, uh, input MIDI data, and you can edit MIDI data. And then you have what people call, uh, so a digital audio workstation, or people call it a DAW or a DAWless, and I use those as well. So they by themselves are vessels for other apps, right? So you yeah. can get an app that will record MIDI. You can get an app that will record audio, and that would be a node within that within that DAWless app. Like the one I use a lot is called Eight Matrix. There's another one that most people use if they're going down that route. It's called AUM, and um, which I would, when I see it written, I say OM, but it's people say AUM. So AUM and eight matrix are very similar in that they're vessels and you, you essentially load synths and recording and things in it. Uh, and it's great for like live and for improvisation. So with that, you'll have a synthesizer like application running in the background or is that foreground or is it split screen or how does that all talk to each other yeah it actually runs within like so i use eight matrix and eight matrix uh works with the stand the kind of most modern standard for music apps which is called which is au audio unit so okay. they're audio units and they're on version three so everybody says auv3 so uh that's and and i limit myself most apps are auv3s at this point interapp audio is the older standard and there's Apple's audio one. bus is that still a thing yeah audio bus is another that's a third party standard but the goal is all the same how can i how can i essentially work work in an app within another environment yeah. so um, you don't have to do split screen or this or that with particularly with an auv3 you have full control over that that synth um and in the so, interfaces within a matrix or do you have to start yeah, a matrix or mm -hmm. and and but you can like garage band supports auv3s cubasis uh, um supports auv3 and those are both daws um so if if most people probably aren't familiar with a matrix but i can talk about it in in regards to to garage band so you'd be mm -hmm. in garage band and you add another track and one of the choices that you can choose is, you know, all the stuff they include with GarageBand, but you can you can choose an audio unit, and um, it'll list it'll list all the audio units you have uh, uh, installed on the iPad, and it will the track would then be that. So if I'm using a Moog synth. I can choose that, and then that takes up that track. But I can go 20, 30 tracks. There's no limit. It's all yeah. up to the CPU of, of the iPad. But you you are then, then that app is within the environment. Now, GarageBand has some weird idiosyncrasies, like in other apps, like in 8Matrix. I can resize the window for the app. I can move it around so I can have multiple synths open at the same time. It's just navigating around the windows and dragging them with with uh, GarageBand, it opens up the a, it opens up the app, and you have you have access to it. You can change things, 
but it, it's it's like frozen on the screen. Frozen isn't the right word, mm-hmm. but I can't move it around. I can't resize it. I can't go open another one. It's only one synth open at a time. But you do get a little third-party interface within GarageBand. Yes, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, okay. you are looking. You are you are essentially looking at the app. Yeah, and you can. There, there's a lot of music and synth apps where you go to double click and it'll come up with a window and said this synth does not work on its own. You have to open it in. A, it's an AUV3 and you have to open it up in a in a host application. Uh, there are ones that do work standalone, but you would still have to have something to re- record it with or to capture the MIDI. So a lot of them require a host. Okay. Yeah. So Eight Matrix, you use that and can like. At first, I thought it was a capture app like GarageBand is, but uh, kind of what what are the, what's the relationship between those two or like? I I, th- I think I know where you're going. So GarageBand is a little, you know, like everything else of Apple, it's a little bit of a walled garden. So um, like Cubasis, which is very similar to GarageBand, more complex, more features. Yeah, you could I could create a whole track in Eight Matrix, which is. Essentially, it's it's a blank canvas. It looks like a matrix, and I can choose a bunch of synths and a bunch of effects, and then it's a matrix. I just go across and say, oh, I want the Moog synth to go through the reverb, and then you just click, and the dot shows up, and now the Moog is routing through the, uh, through the reverb. But I can also have MIDI apps, so I could have an app that would record MIDI in a matrix, and I can send the Moog to that. And it, 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 but, but, if I want to record now, eight matrix does record and it saves it as a wave file, but it's kind of, kind of clunky. So most people don't use the recording in there. I personally, I usually do a screen recording, but the point I'm getting to is that I could create all that name matrix. And then I could open that up within Cubasis and that could just be a track in Cubasis, that whole five, six, seven, eight, ten cents, ten effects, mm-hmm. a bunch of different and Cubasis will allow me to open that and work with it. Whereas GarageBand doesn't. Um, okay. So So within Cubasis, are you are reading it directly or is there are you exporting the file and like putting it in Cubasis? You're you're reading it directly. You can do that. So you could export it as an audio file, then then you don't have control over the uh, but you're essentially sending the audio to Cubase. Okay. So I, I don't have to, I, I could then tweak it in 8Matrix, say, oh, I don't like the levels here or there. I could then go into 8Matrix and tweak it, and then it would still send the updated audio, whatever the, the mix was. Okay, to, so you do the Cubasis. adjustments with an 8Matrix, and then Cubasis has it in there just as like a track, but to edit the track to like move like things around in there. Right. It's easier to go back. It's easier to go back to a matrix, but you can also record whatever you've done in a matrix, save that as a wave file and then import that. So yeah. I've done that before and imported it into Cubasis or imported it into GarageBand and that works fine. For my workflow, I use GarageBand or Cubasis when I'm doing something linear. So there's no looping because neither I used to think Cubasis did this, but it doesn't. So you can't, you can't record audio in a loop on GarageBand or Cubasis. You can record loops with one sound and you can record multiple MIDI loops, but not, I can't record one sound from a keyboard on like track one in GarageBand. Keep having that play as an eight bar loop and overdub on that in real time. It continually erases what you had mm, before. And Cubasis is the same thing. 
Yeah, Cubasis. I used to think it didn't, but I actually tried it uh, a couple of weeks ago and it doesn't. So there are looping recording apps out there. I use something called Gauss Field Looper. That's almost like an old, the interface isn't, but it acts like an old school tape, reel-to-reel tape, which I've, I've used in the past two reel-to-reel tapes. And, you know, I, I you know, I had a Brian Eno and Robert Fripp, and they did a lot of Frippertronics experiments with, with two reel-to-reel decks. And you can have the sound coming from one going back to the other, and it's just a continual overdub, but that degrades over time. And so there's apps that kind of mimic that. Uh, so I'll do a lot of that. I'll add a drum line, and then I'll do some leads over that. So there's, you know, a lot of people get like, I'm not going to use GarageBand. I'm not going to use Cubasis. I only want to use 8Matrix or AUM. And they go through a lot of machinations <laughs> to get things done in the way they want. I'm not quite like that. I can't. I can. But I like an eight matrix for like, OK, I'm going to jam or I'm just going to play live because yeah. I just can open it up, have a couple of synths going. I don't have to worry about linear timelines and any of that. And if I want to loop something, I'll add a loop app into that and I can use it right in there. Yeah. So GarageBand, I think it's hard life as like a five dollar app and I think it's free now for everybody. It is free. Are you using the real instruments in there as well, like the stuff that's built in, or are you mainly using third-party apps in conjunction with it? These days I'm mainly using third-party apps because I'm using GarageBand almost as like an audio. So, however, I have done a lot of stuff in GarageBand. I've done things using external synths, uh, you know, AUV3 apps within GarageBand. And I've done some pieces just using the stuff in GarageBand. I, you know, a lot of people kind of diss GarageBand. It has its limitations. And Lord knows I got a list of like 10 things I would love them to change. And even if they just changed one, I would probably use it more. There's just some little idiosyncrasies that really make it annoying. But it's free now. And you get a lot of stuff. It's it's kind of insane the amount of things that they give you. They had bought a synth company. I think it was Alchemy. Uh, was it, they did synth apps and they they bought that. Now the Alchemy synth is part of GarageBand. So they have a full function synthesizer. The the amount of tweaking and the depths that you can go at is is a little limited compared to a third party app. You can really go nuts. Mm -hmm. But they have great electronic drums. They have good em emulations of real instruments. But they're continually adding more. I mean, you know, I'll go into um, I'll go into GarageBand and say, oh, there's a new sound pack available to download. It might be eight new drum kits and a bunch of new loops. I don't really use the loops within GarageBand, and believe me, there's a lot of them. So a lot of people just use loops, pre-made loops that they kind of construct together to make a piece. Yeah, um, there's a lot of music is made like that these days. So, but yeah, I mean, I'm not. You know, literally, when people come to me and they're like, hey, I got an iPad, I like to do music, I'd be like, you know what? Watch some YouTube videos on using GarageBand. You've got like a full functioning digital audio workstation with sounds and great effects and, and everything you need right on there. You don't need to spend anything. Having said that, the, the, if you want to buy other stuff, it's so inexpensive. But But to really kind of wrap your head around the capabilities, and the reason I tell people that is because... It's Apple. It just works on the iPad, right? I yeah. mentioned this before. I can plug an interface in. It it just shows right up. It works. I don't have to do anything special. The screen recording, so I can make a great piece, and I don't need to 
hook it into record it externally. I can use the iPad and it's recording it as an AIFF, an uncompressed file. It's, an, it's a great quality audio file. Yeah, Logic is basically a pro version of GarageBand. Like the inner, in over the years, they've made it even more so. Like if you just look yeah. at the two, uh, it's really become that. Yeah. So you know, if if that comes to be the case, then then I probably standardize on that for the recording and whatnot. I would still use third party apps for for synths and 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 things because some of them are really good. Like the Moog, I keep saying Moog over and over again, but that's one company that made the great jump from hardware. They still make hardware since i mean everybody knows a moog synth and uh but they've had they've had apps they've had ios apps for a very long time almost since the beginning and they've always been phenomenal um just the interface it looks exactly like the hardware the knobs work and the sounds are there so i i could really have a couple of moog apps and GarageBand and never need anything else <laughs> yeah so um the app I've heard endlessly great things about is Cubasis 3. This like yes. seems to be like the, you know, flagship app for creating music on the iPad. Can you kind of give us a rundown of what's possible with this app and kind of what the learning curve is like and I'm not sure if you know Cubasis on the Mac like how does it compare that? Well, what kind of limitations do we get on iPad? Yeah. So I'm not as familiar with Cubasis on the Mac. Um, obviously, right. I would think you get more, right? Um, a, a little bit more. But the interfaces look very similar. And, you know, I think of if people that start on GarageBand and they find the limitations, Cubasis is a great way to go. It has everything you would need. Um, because li like you were saying before, it comes with all the sounds too. So there's multiple synthesizers included uh, with it. There's multiple drum applications. So you never need to go outside the Cubasis ecosystem to create great tracks. And it also mimics kind of the, it has a, an analog style mixer interface with faders and knobs and things, which GarageBand does not have. That's one of the glaring misses for GarageBand is there's no mixer interface. I can't just click a button and have all, you know, eight or 16 tracks in front of me and, and turn effects on and off while things are happening. So Cubasis is great for that, but it's also great. I mean, editing audio is really easy, right? I mean, you can get right into the audio, into the waveforms and zoom right in and, and really delete, you know, minute things uh, that, you know, clicks or pops. Um, MIDI data is easy to work with as, as, as the same thing. It's just, it's just way more full featured than GarageBand, and it's probably the closest one can get right now to a great digital audio workstation on the iPad. Now, one of the things though about Cubasis, and this is right, this is this is like part and parcel of the whole with um going on the iPad and the and and the apps is that so they're up to version three point something, um, and and like the point releases are, are free updates, but they yeah. put enough functionality in the major updates that you have to buy them. So Cubasis three came out. I believe at the beginning of 2020. And there was a lot of talk for three or four months about it was buggy, it didn't work right, people were losing their projects. Um, and then they had a couple of subsequent updates and everything's stable now, right? So I would tell somebody, yeah, Cubasis 3 is stable. I don't have any and I issues heard, with it. I heard 
2 or whatever the latest big point release added some really wild awesome things to it yeah they're adding more sounds just more editing features and just as important you know they're fixing bugs they're they're just making it a more solid platform but now i'm also worried like okay when they come out with cubasis 4 so that's why i get really leery about like standardizing on just one thing because I'm afraid that when it comes out, you're, you're going to be hosed. Like that's the problem I'm having with eight matrix. So I used eight matrix for six months with no issues with screen recording, none whatsoever. And um, then I got the external synth. I got a Mellotron and I started having issues with audios because the Mellotron only is audio. So I'm recording yeah. into the iPad and using using a matrix and doing screen recording and it would just keep crashing and at first i thought it was the mellotron i i thought it was maybe it's sending some signal that's interrupting because you know i should have i should have known this but i tried some third-party screen recording apps too and i was having the same issue and then i was like duh <laughs> you know they're just talking to this whatever the api is on the ipad for screen recording so if if the if the resident mac Apple screen recording is not working on the iPad. A third party isn't going to either because they they're accessing the same part of the system to do that. And uh, you're using but, screen recording mainly to get the to capture the audio, or what's the um, purpose? Really both, yeah. Because what I'll do, particularly like Eight Matrix, you know, it'll capture what I'm doing, like I'm tapping. It'll, it'll if I open up an app and I'm changing settings. So it captures all that as well as the audio getting recorded in. Now, when I'm using the Mellotron, I'm doing that, but I also have a video camera going capturing what I'm doing on the external one. But if it's if I'm only using, even if I'm using a controller, but I'm only using music apps, et cetera, on the iPad, uh, I'll just use screen recording because that's capturing everything I'm doing on the screen, opening apps, closing them, changing settings, and it's capturing the audio as well in an uncompressed format and you'll release these on your youtube channel the screen recordings yeah and okay. then when you stop the screen recording it saves it as a as a you know video file and then i'll bring that in um so you know here we go again so i use imovie on the ipad that's what i do my video a lot of people use lumafusion all i do is hear about lumafusion and how great yeah, it's it great is. and i know and then i'm like you know what i'm gonna next time it comes, and if I'm you saying, uh I'm gonna if you're Goodbye. using an external uh, camera as well, one of their updates later this year will be multicam, so you could actually do a uh, multicam edit between uh, different um, things that'll sync it up and all that. So that'll be really nice later on. Yeah, so that's that's one of the areas that I know I should be doing better at. But right now I'm using iMovie, so I'll import uh, I'll import the two the two videos, so the screen recording video with the audio. Uh, and then I can separate the audio in in iMovie and I can manipulate it if I want and then whatever came from the camera. But it's lining everything up and I do all the tricks and stuff. But I know while I'm using iMovie, I'm like, yes, I know how to use this fairly quick. But yeah. I know that this is not the best app for what I'm trying to do here. <laughs> right, yeah. So the interface to Cubasis 3, when I just look at it, I downloaded, they have a free version that you can download, yes. I think, unlock the... What, first off, what are the difference between the just you buy it outright, there's a $50 version, then you, there's a free one that has like a time-limited usage, and then 
you unlock it is that the same exact version you're unlocking yeah it's it's you know it's 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 pretty much the same version you're just like you said it's it's got a time limit to it it also i don't think it includes as much sounds that uh like cubasis 3 does because like you said there's actually like three versions right so there's the you download it's almost like a trial version yeah there's a they call it cubasis light Mm-hmm. which is you get that when you a lot of companies when you're buying a hardware they'll come with it you know you can then go download a whole bunch of of, of synth applications and you can either download it for the iPad or you can you know for a tablet or you can download it for 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 the Mac and uh that that one as well is is more limited so okay. although I think the trial version is actually now that I think of it the the trial version I think is is the cubasis le that's their that's their light edition and I know it's the same it's the same look and feel you get a lot of the same versions but like you said um you're essentially in a demo mode right? yeah so uh, probably download yeah. the demo thing to just see if it's for you and then yeah go out download the separate app the full featured one if you really want to get into it right so yeah, uh, and 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 again, like we like I've been talking, the Cubasis does go on sale an awful lot. Like I I bought it during Black Friday; it was fifty percent off. But I think in April, the, the recently when they did the three point three release, yeah, they uh, it, it 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 was I don't know if it was half price, but it was it was close. It, okay. It's definitely a pricier app as far as apps go, but it does go on sale. But I I, I got to be honest, even for the full price. It's worth it because that that's really all you need. You know, that that's really you could get by easily with just Cubasis way more so than you could with GarageBand. Yeah. The interface is a bit scary to me. I opened it up and I was kind of <laughs> lost. Can you give us a couple of minutes on like how do you navigate this interface and make sense of it? Yeah, it, it's it is definitely a more complex interface. Um, I think if somebody's I think if somebody's familiar with uh, GarageBand, then they can kind of get used to the interface. I mean, essentially on the left hand side of Cubasis, you have everything you can add to a track uh, and and helping you manipulate tracks. And then the main window is actually the tracks, whether it's MIDI data or audio data, and you can mix and match. And then the bottom part is that that changes and, and you can change them all, but that changes depending on what you're doing. So the bottom bottom part can become a mixing interface. It can become the interface for whatever synth you're working on, whether an external one or the stuff in, in Cubasis. And um, I, when I was first doing Cubasis, I just, and I tell people this all the time, you know, go to YouTube. There are so many tutorials on all this stuff. I mean, I've yeah. done some tutorials on apps too. And um, the Cubasis ones in particular, uh, I watched a couple of those. I even still do for GarageBand. I'll be like, I'll hit a wall in GarageBand. And I'm like, is this me or is this the app? And I'll look it up and I'll find a video. It might be an older version, but it'll give me enough information to know. And and I, I just find YouTube is such a great resource. Granted, you have to commit some time, right? Because... Mm-hmm. People do these 20 to 40 minute videos and it's like too much. But Cubasis, I know, does their own short videos and they're like three minutes long, five minutes long, like how to record MIDI into Cubasis or 
how to manipulate audio in Cubasis, how to apply effects in Cubasis. And um, I've, I've seen some of those on YouTube as well. And those are really, really helpful. And there is a manual too. So, but, but I find just investing like 30 minutes in a video or two, and that'll give you enough to start yeah. because then you'll get to a point you'll be like, Oh, okay. I'm at a wall here. You can, try the help with incubasis, which is actually really good. That's that's kind of one of the benefits I found between the smaller kind of one or two person app shops and the, the more established companies is be, besides, um, you know, can work both ways. But I do find the help, the online help or the, the, the help that's resonant within the app is just is, is usually of a better quality, I hate to say it, mm -hmm. than a lot of the smaller apps. And also, there's more information out there. You can just do a natural language search on, uh, oh, how do I add an effect to Cubasis 3? And you'll get more than enough information. So I, I find at least that's the way things work best for me. If I'm unfamiliar with an app, I'll go watch a couple of videos and then I'll just dive in. And as I'm hitting walls, I'll solve each of those problems. And then like anything else, all of a sudden a month later, I'm like, oh, I actually am an expert at this app. Now. Yeah. <laughs> so with all the little knobs and stuff in all of these apps, do you use the Apple Pencil at all to make it easier to kind of manipulate some of these interface elements? I do have the Apple. I have the Apple Pencil, both of them, the, the one and the two. You know, I've tried and I'm not finding it any better. I don't okay. know what that means. Yeah. I've done with my fingers. Um, and I found uh, one of the things I did it in, in iMovie for whatever reason, uh, and it still happens. Uh, so it's not it's not a version change and it's not the iPad, but sometimes the volume knob just won't move. And I'm hmm. like, or I can't get it to move the right way. It just gets very flaky. So I yeah. tried that with a pencil. It wasn't working better. But to knobs like a Moog sense, the Moog sense all have tons of knobs. And I'm there with my finger. Uh, and I'm like, oh, well, it should be easier to use with the pencil, but it's not. It really isn't. Huh. Um, it, it it doesn't make, I also would have thought, because I'm sure as you know too, right, whether it's a slider or a thing, sometimes like I, I want, I'm trying to get to 98, right? Not, and, and like I move it a little, it's 96 and then it's 100, right? And to get it to be the exact number you want is really difficult. I thought the pencil would be easier. I have not found that. Um, that actually was very surprising to me. I haven't tried it in a while, but I did spend a couple of weeks like, I'm just going to use the pencil yeah, because uh, this is ridiculous. And for most things, knobs in particular, I just wasn't seeing, like, I couldn't do finer movements. It's like, okay, it's not my finger. Right. Um, you know, and, and this is kind of weird too. Like, I, I want to use that pencil more. I keep trying to notes or things like that yeah do any of the apps you use they're not optimized for it. i know like ferrite is what i use to edit audio right. for the podcast that's optimized for it but it sounds like cubasis and all these other apps they're not optimized in any way for the pencil yeah they're not optimized for it um and i should try it with garage band i don't know if garage band is you would think it is but you never know with 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 yeah. apple but with but the yeah, uh, like, with the yeah. notation apps, those are they have like a handwriting mode special for right. Apple Pencil. But in this world, it sounds like it's not the case. Yeah, my my penmanship is crap. It's always been yeah. crap. And I try to do notes, and I'm like, well, you know, I'm I'm also like I remember when we moved to keyboards with computers because our handwriting sucked. So yeah. why do I want to go back? And I, you know, and I was like, oh, I'll go in meetings, and I can write, or I can draw pictures, you know, diagrams and whatnot. And I just don't find myself doing that. But 
I've had the magic keyboard too. And, uh, I don't write enough, I guess, to make a difference. I have no issue using the on-screen keyboard. Um, yeah, I use it mainly for keyboard shortcuts is my big thing. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Cause I've had it and I was like, Oh, this would be cool. And then I'm like, yeah, I don't really, it just makes it more bulky because part for me of the iPad was I want it to be portable. So you use it a lot in, you use it in tablet mode a lot then, right? Yeah, yeah, okay. all the time, yeah. And um, like I said, I, I've had Bluetooth keyboards, I've had the, the smart keyboard, I tried the magic keyboard and I just didn't use it enough. And so I just, I, I try to, I don't know, it's also a personal thing, I guess, too. It's like I have the iPad, I want to use it to its, as much as I possibly can without anything external. It's, Do you have it's, any favorite stands or things that help you kind of like position your iPad in different environments? Yeah. So I use, um, it's funny when I'm kind of in, in my home office and my desk, I do have a stand from Amazon. Um, I don't even know what it's called. I'm looking right at it cause it's on Atlanta yeah. call. Yeah. And, um, it's actually a nice stand. Uh, it doesn't vibrate or anything. And cause I used to have the 11 inch iPad. So I was always small is better, but as I use the 11 inch over the last couple of years, way before they announced, you know, was going to have the better screen or whatever. Um, I was like, you know what? I think I'm going to move to the 12.9. Uh, I, I could use more real estate and it'd be nice if some things were bigger. So I'd already made that decision. And, uh, all of a sudden I was like, oh, I'm going to need stands because everything is mm-hmm. bigger. I, the, the, the desk space is small. And, and I, uh, as far as cases go, so I go, I go back and forth with what, what kind of cases to have right now. I'm using, um, one of those ZUGU cases. A lot of people use it on the iPad. It's it, because it has kind of a stand built in with yeah. like, uh, eight or nine notches on the back. And it actually works well that way for having it on the lap and you can have it. So it's very easy to sit on a couch on the lap with this case um it's got some weird things about it i don't like um i mean obviously it makes the ipad slightly bigger although given you know the amount of way that they did it uh, it actually is pretty minimalistic um and there's just some other stuff too uh, 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 about it but it it actually is a it is actually a really good case it's very protective and and the fact that i can have it on a desk in essentially nine to ten different angles or on my lap solves a lot of issues okay uh with all the synthesizer apps out there they're replicating these real hardware synthesizers that exist in the real world and these are very a lot of knobs and things to that nature and you're you you're using these hardware controllers with them um yeah do do the knobs on your hardware controller match up in any logical way to what you're visually seeing like or you know do these companies also sell hardware versions that hook up to this software version or what's that whole story like (laughs) yeah that's a that that can definitely be a bit of a pandora's box kind of a pain so nothing is going to work great out of the box i mean there are standard it's essentially sending over midi what are called control changes cc changes and that's a standard that's part of the midi standard so yeah you know like there's a I I can't remember the numbers offhand, but there's like there's a certain number for volume up, volume down, or or resonance on a filter, or um, the filter frequency. So some of them, as long as the app recognizes control change X equals what, um, and that's what the hardware puts out, you're fine. Now if it doesn't, 
that's when you have to do work. So a lot of a lot of apps have what's called MIDI Learn. So they will go into a mode where it will learn what uh, control change a knob on your synth or your controller is sending. So I could go into MIDI Learn mode on a particular synth app and I could press the knob I want to control and then turn whatever controller, uh, excuse me, whatever knob on the synth or controller and the app will learn that that knob is controlling this function. Okay. So, so that like a makes training it easy. Ability. Yeah, training. Yeah, it's like a training mode and they call it MIDI learn. Uh, and a lot of apps have that capability, but if they don't, then it's really difficult because first of all you have to determine oh okay this knob and and a lot of a lot of apps will will tell you this knob responds to uh cc18 so control change 18. um so then on the hardware i would have to say okay i want this knob to uh you know i wanted to send out control change 18 on channel one uh so and you can you can do that on the controller or the synth you might have to plug it into the computer or uh to, to use some editing software but you can do it but it's a lot of work um, and there's so no there's varying one, degrees and there's no one app to rule them all because all these companies own different sound libraries yeah, exactly. so you can't have like one master app and just input all the synths in there right i mean and yeah so it's it's tough i think the audio bus standard kind of takes some of that uh pain pain away uh but it's more you know i don't hear as much about audio bus because with audio units now that that's what everybody uses but to your point so i could have a million things in GarageBand or cubasis but that's not going to help me right? right every synth is a different manufacturer so luckily you know if if you're like oh i like this synth and i like this company and they make five cents so i have those five you're probably going to be okay for those five mm -hmm. that's another reason why it took me so long to get to yeah i'm going to use the ipad for for music making for that because you can buy boxes you can buy controllers that have tons of knobs on it you can buy just a box you know a separate controller that's just knobs or really popular ones i don't know if you've heard of it. it's a company called novation it's called the launch key and it's a big square with um like soft softer plastic pads on it for like drumming and things but you can assign those pads to be different controllers so I could have a row of, of the pads for volume, but you have to go in there and program it. Uh, so I like to play music. I don't mind fiddling and doing things. And, and, and like I said, you know, I'm more will change my workflow or change some things I need to do if it's hardware I want to use rather than say, nope, this hardware is not going to meet what I need to do because nothing will. Nothing's going to ever match 100%. But I, I find that kind of stuff tedious. I'll do it for a while. And after 15 minutes, I'm like, I don't want to be programming control changes. I want to play music. So that's what kept me in hardware since for so long because the knobs just change yeah. the sounds right on the things. But having said that, it's it is worth it. Some of the some of the apps are more standard than others, so it's easier to do that mapping. Like I said, some have the right mappings out of the box. That's few and far between. Um, but, uh, you know, I've done that too, but then that introduces latency as a problem for some people too. I feel like I'm turning the knob and it's not changing the mm. right way. You know, people get really sensitive to milliseconds or they think they do. I don't know if it's perception or reality, but that, that again, you know, that stuff doesn't, 
bother me as much. But you know, it's 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 actually kind of humorous because I remember when I was using hardware synths, you know, and analog was still making a comeback, and people were like, "Oh, you need analog synths with knobs and this, this digital stuff." And now everybody's moved over to iPads and computers, and it's kind of the same thing. It's like, "Oh." You're using that. You're not using hardware. You know, it's it's people's kind of prejudices about technology and 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 what people use. But to loop it back to what you were asking, it's 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 a spectrum like everything else with the iPad and external apps. Some work easily, some don't. But the solutions are out there. There are hardware boxes if you want to control. You just have to go in and do the work. You have to you have to map it if it's not mapping out of the box. Yeah, I'm trying to remember. I think it was like Blade Runner 2049. They actually had to track down this like synthesizer that was pretty rare from like the 40s or 50s that hadn't been like app you know turned into an app yet, and it was quite the process. But you know some they each of these synths they can sound very distinct and uh, not everyone will recognize the distinction but uh, uh right. people that yeah so there is like a whole thing beyond like um these instruments being a unique thing unto themselves yeah and and i don't think the ipad or or the 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 technology it doesn't make it it makes it easier in one regard but there's still work you need to do. It, it doesn't solve, doesn't take away some key key things around setup. Or once you start yeah. playing and recording, yeah, then you're getting the benefits. But that to get to that point can be a lot of work. Will you ever perform on just the iPad screen without the external hardware? Yes, yes, I've done that a lot. And um, I, I've actually done things with since and been like, oh, you know what, this week, because on my YouTube channel, I typically what I do is I'll do, I'll, I'll spend like a half hour or 40 minutes with doing a jam. I may have something in my mind, some apps, and I'll set all that up and um, I'll, I'll record that whole jam and then I'll post that up. And out of that will come a track and then I'll build the track out of that and I'll post that the next week. But sometimes after a few weeks of that, I'm like, oh, this is going to be tough. And I'll just open up the iPad, 8 Matrix, a GarageBand, throw a bunch of synths in there kind of along the lines we were talking about before whatever i feel like doing and nothing hardware nothing external no controllers i'll record some stuff using the on-screen keyboards because most of the sense you can have an on-screen keyboard too yeah. and believe me it's not not the easiest thing to work with but you can and then i'll also use midi you know because there's also apps that do midi things midi sequencing so whether it's arpeggiation or uh, building a sequence or recording a loop and then manipulating the MIDI data. So there are a lot of ways. So you don't need to use anything external. You could just use the iPad with apps. And if you want to play, if you want to input notes, you can do those manually with your finger on a grid or you can use an on-screen keyboard. And and so if I'm, I'm traveling for business, I haven't been doing much of that in the last year or so, but or vacation, and I have the iPad with me, and I have an inspiration, or I feel like doing something. It's it's all there. I can I can easily do that. And if somebody said you can never have a hardware thing again, I could definitely make that work easily, and 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 be perfectly uh, content doing that. Excellent. Yeah. And when they eventually make even larger iPads, the uh, keyboard could uh, grow in scale with that. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's one of the benefits of the twelve point nine is I can make apps larger, which makes the finer movements of knobs and things even easier. And to be honest, I've never tried the pencil with the 12.9. So I should try that. But, but yes, to your point, it also makes, not only makes the keyboard bigger, but even if you don't want it bigger, you will 
get more notes. So right. that's a good thing about all the keyboards that come with all these applications, whether it's GarageBand or the Moog apps or Cubasis, you can control the size of the keys too. So I can have oh, smaller okay. keys with a lot more notes. So you do have a lot of... Um, so if you're you, a little kid, you, you, you could... Uh be probably better on the ipad in that regard exactly because you can make it so you only have like five keys and they're really really big but it's amazing you know once you start doing it you can get pretty proficient on that and i've seen some videos of people where they're only using the on-screen keyboard and it's like wow that's yeah you know they're doing more virtuoso virtuoso things rather than just mm -hmm. you know chords or or you know they're they're not doing things at like 80 bpm you know? yeah. they're doing things at like 160 or even classical pieces and it's impressive yeah um, it's impressive but yeah yeah it's 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 strange it's, it's muscle memory works for the ipad too like i can put my i i know what size keyboard and i can put my fingers down and not really look and i can yeah you hit bum notes but I can be like, yeah, I'm actually surprised that I'm playing so well on this. And that's the same thing with typing. Um, I'm like, I don't need an external keyboard. This is fine. Yeah, it feels different. But after like 10 seconds, I'm not thinking about how it feels, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Uh, at least that's for me. That's that's the way I think. I believe there's like pedals you can get for the iPad and that you can link them up to like changing the octave of keyboards really quickly. Is that a thing you've experimented yeah, with? Yeah, you can do... Yeah, that I haven't. I've used a sustain pedal. So, um, you know, because uh, the, the the pedals are sending control changes. So CC messages. Um, so it's so it's MIDI. So as long as whatever you're using will accept CC messages, control change messages mm -hmm. um, and they're standard. Right. So the 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 sustain is putting out whatever the again, I, I don't have the chart in front of me of what the control changes are, but it's standard. So, so you can change them. You can map them differently if you want. But out of the box, a sustain pedal is going to put out a specific control change. And as long as you have a way of connecting that, whether it's through an existing synth or a controller or a hub, then it will work um, in whatever application you're in and and whatever you know whatever track happens to be armed at that point in time so you're you're that's i mean that that's a benefit or a limitation depending how you look at it so if i had a piece that had eight different tracks and i'm plugging in a sustain pedal or a volume pedal it's not necessarily going to raise and lower the volume for all of those tracks unless they're all on the same MIDI channel and I want that to happen. But I can control one or two of those tracks to fade them in and out with a pedal uh, versus the on-screen while the other five tracks or six tracks or whatever were completely unaffected. Okay. And what is the hardware scene like for MIDI controllers? Like the low end, like what's the lowest you should yeah, probably you can, go versus the high end when do weighted pedals start to actually get right. good weighted keys start to get yeah. good i mean they can go they can get really expensive depending on like you just stated is it 88 keys is it 61 keys are they weighted does it have a lot of knobs some of them even have a little screen so you can go anywhere from look you can get a solid controller that's 49 full size keys um, maybe even a couple of knobs for a hundred dollars or less. Okay. And that's solid. That's gonna, you know, you, you're talking name brands like Accord or Novation. And then 
I mean, you can easily get in the one to 300 hour range with a very good controller. Um, once you start getting over three or 400 hours from a controller, I think you're getting into more esoteric, like maybe it's all metal, all metal knobs, maybe there's a screen, but then you're getting into synth hardware synth territory and, um, you know, pretty good stuff again by known, you know, a Roland, a Yamaha, a Korg, whatever it is. And I, I, if, if I'm going to spend six, seven, eight hundred dollars on a controller, I would just buy a synth because you're going to get full size keys. You can use that as a controller. Okay, um, so all the synths, the hardware synths, can also function as a controller. Yes, and even okay. the one that so so I have a Mellotron, the digital Mellotron, the modern Mellotron, and you know, no no synth, no USB out, nothing. But it has a it does have MIDI in and out and through, and it has an audio output. So I have the MIDI the MIDI stuff going into this Focusrite interface, which then goes from USB-C into the iPad. So I can use that as a, a MIDI controller to control the synths on the iPad because it's sending that MIDI note information through the interface to the iPad. And I can just turn the volume down on, this, on the Mellotron itself and I won't get any of the internal sounds. And the MIDI... Cable is that similar to like an XLR cable? If you're just doing straight MIDI, that's not USB. Yeah, it's a, it's a, I believe it's a five pin DIN, a five pin okay. cable. They haven't changed since the eighties. Yeah, so yeah. I remember back, standard. I have had those before. Yeah, and so it's the same. And and most most good interfaces these days will have MIDI in and out on them, uh, and it's still the five pin standard. So and yeah, and so I hadn't been using stuff for years, right? Hardware since and even. Even when I used hardware stuff, I was still a minimalist. Like I just wanted one or two, uh, but I have tons of MIDI cables, but I got MIDI cables that are going back over 20 years and they still yeah. work fine. They work fine. So something I hadn't heard of until you sent me your notes was the existence of audio kit. Is this the audio units thing you're talking about or is this something separate? Audio, yeah. Audio kit is actually a developer, uh, audio kit pro. And, uh, they're, they're interesting because they, um, it's essentially a development, an audio development ecosystem of code repositories, packages, libraries, algorithms, playgrounds. So they they not only build their own apps, they built a language and a whole environment, which they give away. So there there's other synths and applications out there on the app store that you can buy that are built on the audio kit platform, so to speak. So they made an open source language and environment for making synth apps. Um, and so they do their own. Uh, which they charge. Some of them are free. Some they charge like a buck or two, and they just put the money right back into the 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 community uh, around the audio kit environment. So, but it's not a proprietary environment, right? It's an open thing. It's not like oh, you're making an audio kit this and audio kit that. It's built in the audio kit language or environment or whatever it is around the packages and the layers. But it's it's whoever builds it. It's their own thing. So think of it. It's like Java. It's like an open language. It's like an open source language that people can use. But they they also audio kit also makes their own. So they have a bunch of different synths. They've done a lot around uh, electronic key, uh, pianos, um, you know, like Rhodes emulations. Um, they do drum machine ones too. Uh, so, and everything that you 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 purchase uh, one of their apps, they uh, you know they put that money back towards in it. So they're they're actually a developer, but not just of synth and thing. But they it's more of they're they're trying to they try to create more of a standard, uh, and it's very componentized. And so people that don't have a lot of experience. 
building apps can read all their, you know, they've got all all the documentation is out there. Everything's in GitHub. So they're 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 just doing this as as kind of like something to give the music community. And there are a number of companies out there that have built on this platform and they're selling those apps. Very cool. Yeah. Uh, do you have any favorites that you'd recommend purchasing? Well, as far as the audio kit goes, and you know, it's funny because we're on the we're on the iPad, so I'm I'm uh, I'm actually going to go look yeah. the ones that the ones that I like the most is uh let me let me i'm just trying to get to the list here the the standard one is uh it's called audio kit synth one so that's a free and an open source synth app that's got a lot of stuff on it i like that uh the drum machine one i i i had mentioned before it's called uh it's it's by audio kit uh ar909 so that's their uh 909 emulation and then they also have uh it's called house mark one that's an electronic electric roads piano i like that a lot got a little not as i mean here's the other thing they a lot of their apps they say they're limited edition which is hilarious um and then they'll be like a dollar 99 or 2.99 for a month and they jack the price up to like 300 dollars because they don't want anybody buying them but and people are like oh my god what are they doing what kind of strategy is this it's well they don't want to take the app off and have to resubmit it they just change the price actually yeah it is an interesting and yeah jacking up yeah exactly and then they and but the price like you wait around a month and the price will be down um so a lot of them are like that the audio kit synth one which is kind of their flagship that that one is not that's that's around all the time it's like a buck or two it's just it's so worth it and you could just make stuff with that you don't need anything more than that so uh i i i recommend that and then i recommend the drum machine which i use all the time which is ar9 that's the uh 909 some people have a big complaint about that one I don't really hear it. So some people claim that that because it uses samples, I guess. Some people claim that the sample for the bass drum, there's like a, a couple of milliseconds of silence before the drum. So there's people that rage on some forums about how could they, you know, the app's a buck 99 and people are raging like they've never fixed the. They've never fixed the bass drum problem. I can hear it. It's like you know, there, there's yeah. a pause there. It's it's. I mean, you know, you get you get that with every app. So another thing that caught my eye in kind of your notes uh, to me was event hide effects. I've never heard of these. What are these and how to use these in your workflow? Sure. So just like you can buy synth apps, you can buy effects apps. Um, so you could buy a reverb or you could buy a delay or, a uh, you know, a chorus, whatever, whatever effect you can think of. Um, and even tied is a. You know, they're a well-known uh, effects company um, that has done hardware for a very long time, and they started porting a lot of their stuff over to apps. Now, they're typically more expensive than most. Um, you know, you can get really good effects for less than 10 bucks. Even tied ones are usually in the 20 you know, twenty to thirty dollar range, but they go on sale all the time and they sell bundles. So um, they've done a great job. I mean, you know, they are a little higher end when it comes effects. So, for instance, one of their reverb, uh, if you wanted the hardware unit, it's probably like five or six hundred bucks. Or you can spend thirty dollars to get the app, and you know what? Sounds just the same. So they didn't. They did no shortcuts, and the interface looks exactly the same. Uh, knobs and the whole nine yards. So, um, I I use a lot of their effects only because they were on sale at the time. I use other companies' effects as well. There's a lot of good effects 
uh, out there. But they're, I think, one of the only hardware effects vendors that really did, you know, took the time and ported their stuff over. Um, but you can, you can, there's free effects out there. Um, you can buy multi effects, right? So I can yeah. get something that has, has all the effects there, but it gets to be like since after a while, I'm like, do I need eight, you know, do I really need five different reverbs? Well, maybe two or three because they're different. Um, and you know, as far as like digital delays go, uh, well, I want something that emulates a tape delay from the 70s. Bottom line, there's a lot of choice. There's a lot of choice and you can get yeah. anything. Any any kind of weirdness you want to manipulate sound with, any kind of effect, you can get that. I, I have hardware effects, too. Uh, I have thought about, particularly for the Mellotron, because it's an external instrument, there's no effects on there. But I've been enjoying bringing the audio in in real time and, and applying the effects to it. But I do, I do have a bunch of effects pedals as well that I use with the bass and I've used in the past with the guitar that... I probably want to hook up to the Mellotron at some point. It's noise. I'm just concerned about having anything external introducing noise because when you're using a when you're using an app, that's that's the one thing. And I don't really think about this, but you know, if I think back to the old days of how I used to record and capture music, you were always getting noise too. There was always a noise floor you had in to the deal room with. you're in. Yeah. would make your instrument sound very different. Exactly. And so yeah, so with with the iPad and the different apps. Um, you're, you're definitely control. It's, you have way more of a controlled environment and mo mo more importantly, you're not imprinting. You don't have to imprint the effect on either the MIDI or the audio as you're bringing it in. You can apply it afterwards. So you can go between, you can change settings or try, oh, this doesn't sound that good with a chorus, but tremolo sounds good on this or vibrato or phaser or whatever it might be. So it, it definitely gives you a lot more options and capabilities. Uh, to work to work with the um, with with the effects apps as well. Yeah. Uh, anything else on the creation of music? I, I want to briefly ask about iReal Pro in a second, but I just want to make sure there's nothing else um, music creation wise that we haven't touched on that you'd like to. No, I think uh, I I I really can't think of anything. I mean, I've talked about the way I work. I know there's a lot of people that do things with sampling, and you know, so you can you can use the you can use the iPad as a sampler and capture a lot of audio and slice that up and dice it. I don't I don't do a lot with that. I, I I'm more of an old school synthesizer person rather than a sampler, and I never used hardware samplers either. But sampling is big, so. Apologies to anyone who wants more information about sampling, because that's just one thing I, I don't do. Gotcha. So uh, I've used Fourscore in the past for sheet music, uh, yep. but you use iReal Pro. It's I um, it's focused on jazz sheet music. Yeah. So iReal Pro is interesting because it started out. So you know you, you're you're in the music world too, so you're familiar with you know jazz people used to use the real book, right? It was yep. just mm -hmm. you know an easy way to have most of the standards or things that people would call on the jam session. Yeah, because with jazz, uh, you have these very, very short, just here's the tune, and then 90% yeah. of what you're hearing probably is improvisation outside of the main opening or ending tune. Yeah, exactly. So you might get, you might get, you know, you might get the head, right? So you get the, you get the, the melody for the head, so you know that. And then it's just the chord changes. And that's how they skirted. 
that's how they skirted copyright control. Well, it's not the song. It's just chord changes. Sure. Yeah. Well, I, so I real pro did that, but they also included recordings. So not, re, not the original recordings, but it was the tune. You, you could hear it was the tune because the part of the app was that, Oh, I can turn the bass off if I play bass or I can turn the piano off if I play piano or I can turn the drums off or if I play a horn. So it was like the, the, the play along, you know, stuff that, that, that's always been big in jazz. Um, well, they, they got, they, they got, uh, <laughs> they got takedown notices for that. So, but, but they, the, the music itself, no, because it's just the chord changes. So it's essentially like getting the real book or any of these, you know, like Hal Leonard or Mel Bay or any of those big music publishers put out, still put out sheet music books of like a thousand standards, right. Or 800 jazz tunes. Um, and which, which is funny because there's always one or two missing that that get called out at every jam session, and uh, lo and behold, that's in volume two. So you have to buy both volumes. Yeah. So um, iReal Pro essentially takes all that and just has it in an app. So doesn't have every song, uh, but it has a lot. Because I play bass, I've always, I mean, I've played bass for over forty years, and one of the things I like playing is jazz. Um, so. Uh, you know, I will put some jazz on and I'll use, I'll use iReal Pro as the sheet music so I can follow along with the, with the uh, chord changes. So I, 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 at least I have a framework, but the good thing about iReal Pro is that, that that's different than, than the print books that you used to have to get is you can change the key on the fly. Hmm. Um, so as you know, right. So yeah. the tune may have been written in D, but everybody in the jam session is playing it in E. So you can quickly just change the key. You can import PDF or other file formats to add to the library. So if I get sheet music online, I can add that and then I can make playlists. So I have like, I have a playlist that might be just 20 Coltrane songs or a Thelonious Monk uh, mix, or maybe I have a standards one. Or if I know I'm, if, if I'm playing with the same group of people regularly and we just play the same 20 tunes. So, so it, it has more capabilities there. And so I just, and I have more than one iPad, so I, I I have the iPad Pro, but I have an iPad Mini, whatever the last one yeah. was. Yeah. Um, and I I actually use it a lot on that, and I just have it set up. I have a HomePod, and I just have music going through that, and I'll open up the I'll I'll just open up iReal Pro, and I'll pick a standard or a tune or whatever, and um, and it's not just jazz. So they do have a community, and people have uploaded like the whole Beatles catalog, or Pink Floyd, or classic rock, or new stuff, or this or that, and you can import that into the app, and then have it show up uh, in the index or in the menu or as a playlist. So it's 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 like a, it's 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 just a great sheet music repository but it's great for jazz because it gives you the changes that's all you need. yeah so you'll play out of say apple music or a cd the yeah. original recording and be following along and playing along with the uh gotcha that makes sense yeah and and because i play bass on a lot of particularly older classic jazz the bass is hard to hear, right? It was never sure. really recorded well. So um, it's it's not like, oh, if I was trying to play the saxophone, I yeah. would want, you know, I, I wouldn't want to. You're trying to be uh, heard over Coltrane. That doesn't sound like a good Right, idea. exactly. But you you can't really hear the bass. And yeah. it's easy to EQ it out. Just take, you know, just have a, you know, just have a high pass filter set at like 40 or 50 hertz. And you can get rid of most of it so I can't hear it. Um, and, and so it does feel like I'm just playing bass along with it so it's it's just 
that I do for fun, right? Mm, I mean, I yeah. know, and and uh, music is supposed to be fun, and it is fun. But as we've talked about for the last hour or so, it's also work. There's a lot of work with these apps, and and I, I like doing it because I'm driven to do this, and I've done music my whole life, and I'm not stopping. But something like that is like I just feel like playing the bass and not worrying about the output, right? I'm not doing it because I need to do a YouTube video or I need to do this or I'm writing a song with somebody. It's not that it's just for my own enjoyment. I love to play jazz. I've always been like that. And that's one of the things that, you know, once the pandemic's over and particularly as I move on to later in my career, that's something I want to do. I want to be in a, a, I mean, they're the best gigs, you know, play like brunches and stuff. I mean, you know, playing in the playing during the day is the best. I'm a big fan of being able to play gigs during the day, Uh, but it's fun. It's like people walk into it. Like we're improvising. This is you're playing jazz. So I, I like that too. I like that aspect of it. And you mentioned there's audio within the app as well. Is there like a mode where you can just be improvising over, the background playing yeah and it's you know because they they got they got hammered in the beginning because they were playing the melody so there's no melody line so you're just hearing the chord change nice. so if you're familiar with the song that's fine for the bass it's not as good because it's like oh okay we're playing the changes to i got rhythm oh we're playing the change you know i mean the i got rhythm changes yeah yeah Persia, that that's part of like 80 percent of standards so i'm like we're playing the same changes but it's in a different key because there's no melody so you can do that like if i was playing a horn or a lead instrument it would be great because i would have the chord changes there and i would just play the melody yeah it sounds it. great because i'm a yeah but on the bass it, it just doesn't that that's why I'm like, oh, you know what? I'm just going to throw on the recording from the yeah. 50s or the 60s or the 70s. And most of the 50s and the 60s stuff, I'm not hearing the bass when I'm playing. So it's not screwing me up and um, not not saying I mean, obviously, I learned from a lot of that stuff when I was younger. But now I just want to I'm, I'm essentially playing along with the piano, the drums and whatever horn. <laughs> gotcha. Yeah. So um, let's shift away from music and. What are some sure. of the things you do with the iPad? Just, just briefly, sure. I guess, so we'll wrap I, up with us. Yeah, and I so I started when I got to 2018. I just noticed, I mean, my my you know, my day job is mostly meetings. I'm in meetings 80% of the time. So I started being like, why do I have to bring a computer to the meeting? I bring my iPad. So I'd start bringing my iPad and I was doing, you know, answering emails and doing whatever. Um, and I just slowly was not using the computer as much. And during the pandemic, it was like, okay, well, I'm going to use the iPad all the time. So I use the iPad for my job, but I'm not using any specific apps. Like I don't, I hate to say this, but the further I get along in my career, the less I'm having to produce that's like tangible. I don't know if that makes sense. Like it's more strategy and managing people and directing people. So I use a lot of the native. I've always been, I've never felt a need to have a lot of third party apps for these core things. So I use mail. I don't use a third party app. I use Safari. I've I've been a big fan of notes since day one. I use notes for everything. So um, because I used to write little paper notes. So yeah. notes and is quick fine. notes is and me great uh, for that, especially. I think. Exactly. And now you've got checkboxes, right? And reminders. And so yep. I'm a big fan. You know, I wouldn't call myself an Apple fanboy, but I, the ecosystem and the app so the core stuff is fine. I use pages and that stuff too. Obviously, I have to use Office for, um, you know, viewing Excel and things like that. So that's fine. I have tried to make presentations in PowerPoint on the iPad. 
it's can be done and I've done it. It's not, it's not the smartest thing <laughs> to do. And it does not translate hundred percent. It's, it's more like 90%. Things will not be in the exact area. So, um, but it's really the core, the core app. So for work, I use the iPad all the time for that. Then the other things is, um, you know, for personal, um, it's still related to music, right? We were talking about YouTube. So I use iMovie a lot um, and the different apps, uh, photos. I do all photo editing on the, on the iPad. I use, um, I use this one, I, I use this one app on the iPad. I mean, again, there's tons of, I don't use affinity or Photoshop or any of that stuff. I, you know, I do use external cameras. I mean, I'm, I'm kind of a camera head. So, uh, and, and I got way into photography when I was a kid and I got more into it again during, during the pandemic. So I did try a bunch of apps out. Um, to be honest, I, I don't do a lot of editing. I, I work a lot in black and white and the, the photos I can get looking pretty much the way I want straight out of the camera. And I was just using the, the, the editing capabilities and photos. Um, but I have been using a, a photo app called R and I films. Um, and I use that because it, it emulates classic film stock. So it, it can emulate like 20 different black and white film stocks, uh, old school color photos by decade um, or, or slide apps. Uh, and, and so that's one app that I use if I'm looking to get a specific feel that, that might be indicative of a specific type of film stock. So I use that a lot. And, uh, you know, I, I, I'm a big fan of Apple music, so I use obviously music, YouTube, I'm on a lot. So the YouTube apps and because I, I, I also use YouTube studio, which is where you get all the analytics um, yeah. and, and yeah. it's great stuff. They really give you the information that you need to kind of optimize. The other thing, um, that, that I've used from day one too is like star maps, uh, astronomy app. So I'm into that too. I think star map, I, it's funny because I've, I've essentially used the same app since day one yeah. um and the, the 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 star map one in particular sky guide it's called sky guide um and and they've continually updated it and and it's been great to see it grow like when they started taking advantage of the accelerometer so wherever you were standing and you know they all have the red light built in so you can bring them outside and not fry your eyeballs out mm-hmm. um so, so yeah, so I, I use those too. For Apple Music, have you played around with, you know, getting an external DAC for your iPad and doing the lossless thing? Yeah, I have. And maybe it's my age. Uh, I, I'm not, it's tough for me to notice a yeah. difference. Yeah. You have a DAC though that you have, uh, or do you just use your stuff you use to capture music already? Yeah, exactly. I mean, gotcha. I've done AB with external DACs to, to see, and I've got, you know, I've got pretty good Grado headphones and stuff. And, yeah. and like, I can tell a slight difference but only it's only a being right. If I'm right. listening to something and I, I don't know, you know, I went digital music wise fairly or I, I mean, my library, I have a huge library. It's like, it's approaching a terabyte. It's time mm-hmm. and it's not lossless. So I was right. never <laughs> curious like that. I always, I, I kind of agree with Apple. I've been fine with AAC plus right. With, sure. with two, 256. Um, and I've done stuff higher 
bit rate and and I just can't hear the difference. So I've been fine, you know, and I used to have, I mean, I was a record collector, you know, and I had CDs and I got rid of, I got rid of a lot of stuff yeah. and I just yep. went completely digital. Now, of course, I've got like, you know, five hard drives of backups and cloud backups and whatnot, but, um, you know, it's, I used to think, oh yeah, this collection will be, and it's like, no, my kids will just sell it. So now mm -hmm. it's like, I, I, I mean, I'm not trying to be morbid or anything, but I actually, one of the things that I'm excited about with iOS 15 is the, the legacy things like i can sure. actually assign stuff my kids are older now um i can assign like okay because i everything i was talking to my daughter about this i'm like well when i used to write and and music and everything everything was hard and and so i've got folders of stuff going up to like 90 something and then everything went electronic and you know i've got decades now of i i write poetry i write lyrics i've got all this stuff and it's clear but it's in notes or it's on the computer yeah. and like this is what you'll need to access if you're interested if sure. not whatever but yeah um so so yeah so that legacy thing is like oh that's actually thank you apple that's something i can actually use yeah so where can people find your youtube channel in your music if they want to listen to it yeah so um uh my music is is everywhere so it's on um every download and streaming site i have i um I was lucky. We were talking about, you know, kind of the 90s and synth music. And I kind of was I was lucked out and was on labels and had CDs put out and all that. So I kind of there's stuff of mine that's out there that I don't try not to direct people to only because the rights are mine now. But these other companies still have it out there. So I essentially sure. put together like a large collection of all my electronic music and you can find that on apple music on spotify and youtube just search for my name jonathan block um the other thing they can search under is synthetic s-y-n-t-h-e-t-i-c-t-i-c -E -T -T -I synthetic block that was a moniker i used for electronic music too so that stuff you can find uh go to youtube what i i direct most people to youtube now because i'm putting out new music on that weekly and and just search for jonathan block my channel is called the ambient ipad um so just but if you search for my name i've been on there long enough now that i should show up pretty close to the top i, I do some bass stuff uh ambient bass improvisations occasionally too but it's predominantly music on the ipad i do reviews there there are, are app companies that that do send me uh pre-releases of apps so i'll review those i reviewed the ipad you know that stuff gets gets lots of views the music it's it the, the channel's growing uh but that's the best place because the music's on there too the same things you would find on uh on uh, apple or spotify is on youtube and all the links are there so it's easier for people i think just to go to youtube and search for jonathan block or the ambient ipad and and i'll show up cool deal well, thank you, Jonathan, for your time so much. This was just fascinating learning about your process and the tools you use to make this wonderful music. Thanks, Tim. Thanks for having me. It was, it was a lot of fun. I appreciate it. Well, that was my interview with Jonathan, all about creating music on the iPad. My thanks to Jonathan for his time recording this episode, and my thanks to you for your time and attention tuning in. Get bonus content and episodes early over at patreon.com slash iPadPros or on Apple Podcasts. You can also get MP3 chapter markers by supporting the podcast over at patreon.com slash iPadPros. With that, I'll talk to everyone again real soon. Now, here's some music by Jonathan Block. Enjoy.